is Generation Justice, a multiracial project that trains youth to harness the power of community through media, narrative, and critical consciousness. I'm Milian Cordova. And I'm Lily Lukau. Tonight we bring you updates and encouragement from our community as we face the global COVID-19 pandemic. We'll hear from the City of Albuquerque's Department of Family and Community Service Deputy Director, Gilbert Ramirez. In this time of COVID-19, there's so much confusion facing each and every person and a narrative about young people who don't care has circulated in mainstream media. So Generation Justice Youth respond and share their own thoughts about sheltering in place and being in solidarity for the community. We've chosen some music about encouragement and overcoming challenges together. The song Brave by Aunt Yutama illustrates how youth have the fire in their hearts to be brave and bold. I've been tired of hearing you're not good enough Oh, I knew I was gonna prove them wrong and show them what I'm made of My father said You're just a dreamer, pull your head down from the clouds Bernalillo County has the highest number of confirmed cases of COVID-19 in all of New Mexico. With Albuquerque being the largest metropolitan area in the county, that's not surprising. We wanted to reach out to city leaders to help us understand how the city is addressing our current reality. The city of Albuquerque's Department of Family and Community Services is responsible for the health and the well-being of Albuquerque's families. We are pleased to have the Deputy Director for the Department, Gilbert Ramirez, join us tonight. Deputy Director Ramirez is a licensed social worker and is leading the City of Albuquerque's response and recovery teams. Now, 17-year-old youth producer, Sunandita Santanam, speaks with Gilbert Ramirez. This is Sunandita Santanam with Generation Justice, and I'm speaking with Gilbert Ramirez Deputy Director for the City of Albuquerque Department of Family and Community Services, which works to provide health and social services, housing, recreation, and education for Albuquerque community. Gilbert, welcome to Generation Justice. Please share more about yourself with us. Hi, thank you for having me. Um, it's a wonderful opportunity. So a little bit about myself. Um, I, I was not born in New Mexico, but I moved here when I was probably uh, less than two years old. Um, and I uh, lived in Albuquerque my whole life. So I was um, educated through our APS public education system. I am an alumni, uh, my undergraduate degree from UNM, and I am a graduate uh, student of New Mexico Heinz University. So I can fully say I was educated all throughout here in New Mexico. And um, I've been here uh, my whole entire life. And so over, gosh, 42 years um, in being in this community, I am the son of two immigrant parents who uh, came to the United States uh, back in the 60s um, and went through that experience as to what is it like to be, you know, immigrants uh, in a different country and understanding those challenges. Um, you know, growing up speaking Spanish in my own home, I, I consider myself to be a limited English speaker myself going through our public school systems and trying to understand what that balance was. And so I, I feel 
uh, very much so for what that looks like for our young people. Um, but I am uh, very privileged and honored that I had a lot of good people in my life who extended their hand to me to kind of put me in opportunities um, to further myself educationally or in the work that we we're doing for our community. And I'm a product of many of the systems in place that we'll probably talk about today. And so I realize how important they are for individuals and also some of the roadblocks that are in place to accessing those um, because um, I grew up seeing those same things in my own family. Um, so thank you for the opportunity to talk about this and a little bit more about from the city lens what we're trying to do to support our community during this tough time. Thank you for being here. Um, that was amazing. Uh, could you tell us more about the city of Albuquerque's Department and Family and Community Service? Absolutely. So Family and Community Services is um, the third largest department of the city. Um, so we have Albuquerque Police Department is number one. Albuquerque Fire Rescue is number two. And then as far as uh, size and budget, uh, Family and Community is number three. Um, we manage roughly a $50 million budget a year in various programs, everything from early childhood learning centers, Head Start programs, community center sites and staff, um, on over to all of our behavioral health and wellness programs that we fund, um, on over to housing and supportive housing initiatives, um, and a small portion also on the area of aging, which is in connection with senior affairs. So it's a huge department of which I, I get to oversee one little sliver which is our behavioral health and wellness program budget, as well as our health and social service centers in the city. What are some of the ways the department is working to support residents during the COVID-19 pandemic? Um, well, thank you for that. Um, we had started planning around when we started seeing the national trends of what was happening here pretty early on. So I'm appreciative that you know we had the leadership to kind of get us uh, fired up for this. And so everything from, um, our community site centers. Um, initially, we did maintain several of those centers um, open and still there are a few to provide limited um, kind of childcare for individuals who had no other options when the school shut down right um, before, I think roughly March 12th or 13th. Um, when that announcement came, we responded quickly to be able to have some sites available for individuals who we knew um, do not have the ability to work from home um, or do telework. And so we extended that. Um, it was shortly after that we had an ask from some of our partners in the, in the medical community who needed care for their children because they're vital essential providers. So we have some limited capacity in the community site centers. We kept our early childhood learning centers open as long as we could under the directive of our governor. Um, and it wasn't only until early last week that we finally chose to shut them all down, um, both for protection of our youth and our staff. It just was no longer feasible to be able to keep children in an environment like that and not guarantee that they would have exposure. Um, on the end, with regards to the um, HUD housing and federal programs we have for housing, we took some immediate action to really make sure that no one who was currently in a housing urban development federally funded subsidized housing program, the city owns 500 uh, units um, within the city to make sure evictions were not going to move forward on anything that was um, subsidized by federal monies. Um, and then we also encouraged and wrote a letter uh, the mayor did to um, the Supreme Court of New Mexico asking them to not move forward on actions for eviction, um, which was later adopted and then announced. And so we're very appreciative of that. Under my department um, or division, I should say, uh, we were able to um, educate the community on some eviction prevention programs that we've always had in place, but not, again, 
perhaps weren't communicated to uh, everyone with regards to how to access them. Uh, we also provide um, food boxes and other um, supplies for the community. And so we've been very intentional around uh, sharing that information amongst the community and how to access them as quickly as possible um, and as easily as possible. Um, so we've provided quite a bit. Um, and then the other thing that is probably not probably well known is that we do oversee the homeless shelter um, for um, the largest shelter in the city right now, which is the Westside Emergency Housing Center under our Housing and Homelessness Division. And so we currently see a range of individuals and it ranges everywhere from 400 to 450 individuals who are accessing that shelter. We oversee the operations of that uh, through a contractor nonprofit uh, heading home. Um, and we had started building in some crucial medical services there uh, prior to this incident, which we are very fortunate uh, because those services have become crucial now as individuals who are living uh, without homes um, are also in need of medical services and are cared for. Um, so that's been a huge piece of kind of creating that system of care and identifying and screening of individuals who are probably more vulnerable just because their health is compromised because they are out on the streets and have fewer resources. Um, and what would the department suggest we do in order to stay safe? Well, well, first thing is first is if you have the opportunity to limit your um, outdoor exposure, um, stay home. Um, that is the biggest thing that we can't emphasize enough. And I, and I know the audience I'm probably speaking to is, is mostly younger. That is very hard to do when you are so connected to your social networks. Um, but staying home is the huge thing because initially as we started following the trends of exposure here in the state, we knew that often, uh, majority of the first cases were all connected to individuals who had proven travel to areas of exposure. We then shifted and we moved into an area where we learned that it was community spread. We started seeing people who had no connections to any travel catching this, and it was all ages. So it's not just um, a certain population, a certain age. Um, with that concern, I think the biggest thing we have to understand is there's an important piece to flattening how quickly this can spread by staying home and minimizing your exposure. I know that's hard, and I know it's difficult for many, um, but it is important to listen to because you can put others at risk. And by that, I mean your own family members. If you're out and about and then you come home and you have a, a parent who's older or has a health issue, they're more at risk to being exposed and you want to try and minimize that. Um, I also understand that there's a lot of privilege in that comment that individuals can uh, and not have to pay rent and work and show up and their jobs may be essential um, just for the fact of maintaining their households. So sometimes that is easier uh, said than done. And in that case, it's taking the precautions and making sure wherever you're working that you have the appropriate one information education, how to reduce your, your risk in that environment. And then when you get home to do those same things, whether it's um, changing your clothes at the door, putting your shoes to the side and not letting them travel through your home, um, showering and washing your clothes and just to minimize that exposure within your own home. Thank you so much for that. What sort of collaborations are you working on to address the pandemic? Oh, uh, there's so many, but uh, I think one I re really love to highlight is um, I, I mentioned earlier that we, um, when we decided to keep the homeless shelter uh, open year round, it used to only be a winter shelter that was open through October through March. Um, we also identified that this shelter is, is really like 20 miles outside of town. Um, and it's a former uh, prison. It's the old uh, Metropolitan Detention Center. Um, and so the building itself is far and it's not ideal. 
Um, so we had started uh, integrating other vital services like social services, case management, and medical services with some wonderful partners. Um, when we put the call to our community to say, we have a need, these individuals have um, health needs, and the fact that we have them so far out of town, the only way we could really address them was through calling 911 and having our emergency response drive 20 miles outside of town and bring them back into the ER. It was not um, cost efficient at all. Um, and we knew we could do better. So when we asked for some partnerships and, and collaborative ideas, you know, we had uh, University of New Mexico Hospital responded. We had First uh, Nations Community Healthcare responded. Um, we had Albuquerque Healthcare uh, responded. And we had other partners, um, case, the county responded with regards to saying, we can leverage a case management agency to help you guys and also gave us a financial contribution. Um, and then later um, we became aware of the Medical Reserve Corps, which is kind of a statewide um, entity under the Department of Health that takes medical volunteers who sign up through their um, process and program to be able to offer volunteer services. They did a wonderful job responding when we had uh, many of the asylees passing through uh, the city and we're at the Expo New Mexico. They were the main medical provider that got activated during that time. So I uh, applied for the homeless shelter to be an approved site for the Medical Reserve Corps. That got approved, which opened up our access to volunteer medical people who have come forward to donate their time to provide medical services out at our clinic. So because of this response, we currently have coverage out there seven days a week. Um, and mostly during the evenings from 5 p.m. to about 9 p.m. But before we had roughly three nights a week, uh, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, based on the agency or the medical provider that was out there. So that, that in itself to me is phenomenal because when we found out um, around the information on COVID and how it was affecting certain populations, we were able to pull that group together to respond quickly with a plan and idea and kind of create a system that would care for that most fragile population as to how are we gonna to respond to them should we have um, somebody who needed to be tested, isolated, or cared for because they were positive. Um, I will say right now, as of today, we have zero positive cases out at the shelter. We have had individuals released from the hospital who were tested, um, and uh, as of now, most of them have been negative results. Um, but we have a, a wonderful system in place. We now have a medical director out there who's fielding all calls. And I think that preemptive work and that community coming together to kind of say, how do we help you all solve this um, has been wonderful because it's been a hot topic for our community with regards to uh, the voters approving money for a gateway center. Um, and mostly what we've learned is that having individuals so far out of town doesn't necessarily help them have access to services they need. And that approved funding that went to the voters in November um, will allow us to start to think about a different type of system we can create. Uh, we don't know what that is. We've got a lot of feedback from town hall meetings and community. Um, but how can we do a better job for those most vulnerable who oftentimes don't have a, a voice or a champion out there saying, hey, they're part of our community as well. And how do we respond a little bit better? Thank you so much for putting in the effort for these collaborations. Um, what are the racial and economic equity implications of the pandemic in Albuquerque? This has been huge. Um, one of the biggest things I get asked when I talk about our programs is how do we support access to those programs for individuals who might be either undocumented or not have um, legalization paperwork here. Um, and as you know, our mayor has been very clear that we are an immigrant friendly um, uh, city and that we support all of our communities. So uh, regardless of your status, uh, you're, you're one of us. 
And so a lot of the times um, what I get asked is what is the limitations of access to services? Um, we definitely are always thoughtful around making sure that whatever services individuals are accessing will also not jeopardize them um, with regards to their application if they're in the process of um, going through the legal paperwork um, to become a citizen and a resident and or they access a service that may limit them to that. And so um, we're always cautious around that and informing individuals to make sure they understand that there are some limitations. And then we also have some programs that they absolutely can access. And so one of the biggest things we've done is to um, our Office of Equity and Inclusion has made sure that we have started to produce um, most of our literature and information in multiple languages um, for access. Uh, making sure that uh, crucial departments have access to interpretation services or somebody on call, so should they call in, that we can address the primary languages that we see in our community and have someone available to talk to them. Um, making sure a lot of our paperwork and things that are on our website are multiple languages as well. Um, and that's just like the surface. Um, I, uh, coming from uh, speaking Spanish and in my background, have, have been the go-to for a lot of interviews in, in Spanish for our, our media to make sure that they're sharing that same information with the community so that they have access. But I will say we still have a lot of work to do in that area to make sure that individuals know that they can access it, how that information is translated, and how are we getting it to them. Um, so there's also that trust in community that we are here to support them as well the best that we can. Um, so we're making great efforts and strides. Um, I think the development of just having an Office of Equity and Inclusion, which was part of uh, the mayor's design when he came on with this administration was a huge um, kind of message to the community that we value everyone and that you are important. Um, and, and more importantly, that we need to do a better job in communicating things to all the people who make up our community. Thank you so much for trying to work to curb these inequalities. Uh, what has been some of the biggest challenges that the city of Albuquerque has encountered? Uh, well, <laughs> I think we're in it. Um, <laughs> this this pandemic, um, we know when I when I first came on, we went through a training of uh, what is our emergency operation um, plan for the entire city, um, and we went through that training. And there's these lovely manuals that are really thick as to how do we respond to a crisis should one happen, and then we actually went into one. I can't think of a time in all of my life that I've lived here that we've had to be in a crisis such as this. Um, and I don't think there was any um, scripted way that we could have all prepared to enter into this. And so I think we're facing that. As we speak, we're in it with how we are addressing this pandemic for our city. Um, and I think uh, within partnership with our governor and how we're responding. Um, and, I, and I will say that um, we've had some wonderful people stepping into places uh, of both leadership, advisement, and thinking of systems. Um, how do we best implement what we need to for our community and also assess where we have um, lack of resources and or information so that we can build that out. Um, and I appreciate that, you know, we're currently in the process of not only understanding how this is evolving daily and hourly, um, but what does the future uh, process look like for recovery and what do we need to be thinking about with regards to our community and what they're going to need to be able to bounce back from that. Um, and how are we as thoughtful as possible to make sure that everyone has access to that information, those resources. Um, many of those resources, we don't know what they will be. We know there's been funding allowed at the federal level um, and we have put in processes to be able to document, you know, where we are dedicating work and supplies and resources to, um, but we don't know what that will bring back 
um, to the city. So there's a lot of questions, but we are trying to make sure we have those mechanisms in place. So once it is available and clear, we know how to plug it in immediately so that people can respond to it because they're gonna need it quick. There, there won't be time for a delay on this. And um, on the topic of recovery, how is the city of Albuquerque preparing for the possibilities of the virus returning in the fall? Yeah, so I think right now um, between our environmental health department and the Department of Health um, and the CDC, uh, we are working really closely. Um, it was announced that UNM has begun some clinical trials on some medications that may be effective in using this. So everything is being coordinated and we're trying to leverage and learn from each other to see how are we gonna be best prepared at the, at the national level? How does that translate to the state? And what is being done by our research uh, medical experts and what they're doing so that they can share that. So I believe that's already kind of begun. Um, and we are in close communication with those entities to be able to modify what we are doing in response to that. Um, I am not sure uh, if we'll have a vaccination in time, but we may have a, a better proven um, a treatment uh, for individuals who are more at risk. And we're seeing um, this virus particularly affect individuals in a negative way because of other maybe health issues. Um, so I think it's a good time that we, we live in a state that has a medical research um, uh, hospital and that they are already engaging in clinical trials to see what might work and be able to support our community moving forward uh, and wrapping the reins also around what's happening nationwide and if those things are being supported can we bring that to our state to be able to protect us and prepare um, but still a lot of unknowns as to what this reoccurrence could look like in the fall um, but we are definitely trying to keep on top of it with our partners as well as with the state and the CDC to know how can we best be prepared as we enter again into the winter season um, so what is your message to Albuquerque residents with regards to the pandemic and the city's response? Well, uh, lately I've been, I've been sharing a daily posts around the importance of us being kind of together uh, around this issue um, and that we, um, we can get through it. Um, I, I, I want to continue to emphasize that um, there's a lot to learn from what we've experienced. And I think our community is heading in a different direction of, of opportunity of learning that, you know, maybe what we once thought was pretty normal um, and, and we were used to is gonna shift and that that normal might not look the same moving forward, but um, there's been such this surge of implementation of emergency response and resources um, that shows us one, we can do things when we need to, to support those who need it most. And maybe that should be our everyday uh, and not just our response during emergency times. Um, so I would love us to get to a place where we've learned so much from this, that the responses that we're able to put in place during a time of crisis are also those that we can continue moving forward just because they're good for our community. Are there some ways you're working to keep your spirit high during this time? Um, yeah, uh, lots of uh, walks with my family and uh, my children, my, our pets and our animals and taking care of them. Um, and more importantly, checking in with my other family. Uh, we haven't been able to see each other, but those calls um, and texts are, are important for us to stay in communication. Um, and I think also, you know, for extended friends and family. Um, I, I love the outlets of social media to be able to see that people are still okay and that they're sharing resources that we can also learn from too to share out. Um, but uh, it's important to, to check on yourself. And I think it's also okay to 
kind of give yourself some permission to also be tired and be fatigued and be in a in a uh, a kind of a exhausted state and then rebound and make sure you're taking your care of yourself so that you can have that energy back um because uh it, it it is it's a little unknown and i think for our young people um i do want to say you know i know your educational platforms have shifted um please know that um you all are just as important. And I think the fact that action was taken pretty early on to reduce exposure for anybody who's young is important. And that, you know, um, your educational institutions will figure out the best way to get you what you need and will learn from this um, and it will support you. Um, but I've heard lots of stories of seniors who feel like they, they're not going to get those um, ceremonies or practices. But I continue to say to them too that no one can take away what you've accomplished and you are on that path. And congratulations. Um, and we hope you stay in our community and continue to support it as you move forward. How can folks find more information about resources available to them? Excellent. So if you go to cabq.gov, which is just our city website, you're going to see a banner on the top of the web page. And it's everything COVID-related, resource-related. And we've tried to summarize as much of this to a quick, easy access link. Um, so if you just go to our main page, any one of them has that banner up top and there's little sub tabs that will show, you know, resources, information. Um, and so there's quick links and we're trying to keep that updated as quickly as we can. Um, uh, and so please go there, click on that. And then um, if you all have information or resources you wish to share, I'm happy to, to kind of get that out myself too. So share it with us um, because we may not be covering everything. But as far as main programs, what's happening at the government level, um, unemployment, eviction prevention, access to childcare, community centers, and, and updated closures, we have a quick link for that available right on our site that you can go to right away. Was there anything else that you would like to add? I truly uh, appreciate the opportunity to be able to speak to Generation Justice and for what you do with regards to uh, supporting young people being in positions like yourself. Um, I think we need to do more to uh, speak to your uh, generation, your group, your age groups. And so thank you for that opportunity. And um, if there's things that I can answer in the future, please know I'm a, I'm a resource. I would love to support this effort uh, moving forward. Thank you so much for telling us or, and giving us hope almost that the city of Albuquerque is trying to do something to keep us all safe. And I'm truly thankful for your work. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Mia. It means a lot. And we've got a lot of wonderful people out there daily doing their best. And they're, they're driving our buses and they're cleaning our parks. And, you know, my team's um, doing daily food boxes. And we want to keep them safe and protected. And we know they're giving so much of themselves. Um, and it's, it's more than just a job. Um, so thank you. Thank you so much, Hita. For Generation Justice, I'm Sunandita Santanam. Thank you, Deputy Director Ramirez, for expressing your love for our community through the work you do. Not only are you keeping us informed, you are also reminding us why protecting our community is so important. Thank you again, Deputy Director Ramirez. This next song by Avril Lavigne reminds us about how to keep our head above water. It shows that through adversity, we can rise above. Then we have a song by the Alabama Shakes called This Feeling, which reminds us all to take comfort in the fact that we can 
and will continue moving forward. Yeah, my New Mexico reported our first suspected cases of COVID-19 on March 11th, and we have continued to see increased testing and positive cases since. Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham has acted swiftly to flatten the curve and not overwhelm our healthcare system. We know that the hardest thing about COVID-19 is limiting contact amongst each other, but it is the best possible way to help keep everyone safe. One of Generation Justice's core values is youth leadership. So tonight, our members are sharing why they have chosen to stay community leaders from their own homes. We will hear from GJ members, AJ Garcia, Sunantita Santanam, Ariana Cordova, Emilio Bovale, Maromita Santanam, and Gianna Ramirez. Hello, my name is AJ Garcia, and I am a 19-year-old undergraduate currently attending the University of New Mexico. I have been with Generation Justice for three months now. My family comes from Dulce, New Mexico, and Mexico City. I am a Hickory Apache coming from the Llanero Plains clan and a Mexica person. My name is Sunandita Santanam. I am 17 years old and I go to Cottonwood Classical Preparatory School and I'm a junior. My pronouns are she, her, and hers and I identify as a South Indian woman from New Mexico. I've been a member of Generation Justice for around a year now. My name is Ariana Cordova. I'm 16 and I'm currently a junior at Early College Academy. My pronouns are she, her, hers. I'm Hispanic and I've been a GJ member for about three years. My name is Emilio Bovale. I'm 13 years old and I currently attend Tierra Adentro Charter School. I'm in eighth grade. Um, I identify as a Latino. My pronouns are he, him, his, and I've been with Generation Justice for about two years now. Hi, my name is Madumita Santanam and I'm 17 years old. My pronouns are she, her, and hers, and I identify as an Indian American. I go to Cottonwood Classical Preparatory School and I'm in 11th grade. I've been a member of, member of Generation Justice for about a year. 
My name is Gianna Ramirez. I am 14 years old and my pronouns are she, her, and hers. I identify as a Nuevo Mexicana Chicana. I go to Hoover Middle School and I'm an eighth grader there. I have been a youth producer with Generation Justice for about eight months. I am staying home to protect the elders in my family and my community and to protect the knowledge and love that they carry for us. I'm staying home for my grandparents who are extremely old and susceptible to this life-altering virus. They mean the world to me. I'm staying home in order to keep myself and those around me safe and to do my part for our community at this time. Why am I staying home? I'm staying home because I want to stay safe from the coronavirus and keep my parents safe so they don't get sick or my grandma, she's 90 years old and surprisingly in really good health. I think the most important thing is to stay calm, think positive and be empathetic towards our fellow community members. When I talk about empathy, I want to refer not only to our grandparents, but just el elderly people in general. They're at risk and it's important to take their health into consideration. I am staying home because I want to protect myself as well as my family and community from getting sick. One thing I do to keep positive is surrounding myself with people I love in this difficult time. I make sure not to completely isolate myself by staying in contact with friends and family from home. What I do to stay positive is I, I run a lot, I work out, I try to, you know, continue a daily routine of stuff I would usually do. I also have made myself a schedule so that I'm motivated. I believe that this will all lead to my success both physically and mentally. One thing I do to keep positive is to spend time with my family or do things I normally wouldn't have a lot of time to do, such as do art, read, or exercise. My message to our community is that we are strong. We are a resilient people. And in times like these, to return to our ceremonies and medicines, as they have always been the ones to protect us. We live in a world together, and it is our responsibility to come together and do whatever we can to stay safe. Truly speaking, this virus is not simply about the sickness. It's about the people we love. Keep your heads up, keep a positive state of mind, stay safe and stay healthy. Make sure to wash your hands and to eat and sleep well. Stay safe, be careful, wash your hands, and stay home. My message to our community is that our faith, our traditions, and our culture ground us in getting through this difficult time. We must be patient and generous with one another and continue to check in and be there for one another while social distancing. Use this time to learn more about yourself and your culture while trying your best to stay positive. So please make a difference and stay home and safe. Thank you. Thank you, AJ, 
Sunantita, Ariana, Emilio, Marumita, and Gianna for your words and for using physical distancing to keep your loved ones safe. This practice and solidarity is so important to our community and our well-being. All of your reasons for staying home serve as an important reminder of the impact we all have, especially in times like this. Thank you for reminding all of us to look past ourselves and see that there are people we have a responsibility to protect. We have a song about the lives of young people that was chosen by Marumita Santanam. Here is Dilchata Hai by Shankar Mahadevan. Welcome back to Generation Justice, broadcasting on 89.9 KUNM-FM from the University of New Mexico. We have some important announcements to share. First, we know in this time of self-isolation and uncertainty, our mental health can suffer. Here are some numbers folks can call for help. First is the Agora Helpline at 505-277-2313. That's 505-277-2313. You can call this number and the others 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Another place you can call is the Optimum Emotional Support Helpline at 866-342-6892. That's 866-342-6892. And the Coronavirus Mental Health Helpline at 1-844-863-9314. Again, that's 1-844-863-9314. There's also a crisis text line where mental health counselors are just a text away. Just text HOME to 741-741 to get started. That's HOME to 741-741. We know that's a lot of numbers, so you can find these numbers on the Generation Justice Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram page. Thanks to the incredible organizing of groups like Fight for Our Lives, New Mexico Save the Kids, and millions for prisons in New Mexico, mutual aid support is available in the Albuquerque area. They work to protect at-risk community members during this COVID-19 outbreak. Folks in need can contact Albuquerque Mutual Aid for food assistance by email at abqmutualaid at gmail.com or by call or text to 505-633-0329. That's 505-633-0329. Elderly and immunocompromised people have first consideration. For educational tools, folks can visit APS.edu and find links for learning resources, plans for educational programs on New Mexico PBS, and a list of all grab-and-go mill sites. That's APS.edu. Finally, if you are in need of a place to do basic hygiene like hand washing, 
East Central Ministries has installed two water and soap stations in the International District of Albuquerque. The stations are located on Central Avenue and Vermont Street and at Central Avenue and Charleston Street. Please continue to stay safe and healthy and Generation Justice will continue to share these vital resources with you all. The song Cariño by the Marias expresses that we are all surrounded and full of love. Enjoy. We hope you've enjoyed this hour of community voices. We'd like to thank our guest, Deputy Director Gilbert Ramirez. We are so grateful to the Generation Justice youth who wanted to share their messages this evening. AJ Garcia, Sunandita Santanam, Ariana Cordoba, Emilio Bovole, Marumita Santanam, and Gianna Ramirez. Tonight's hour of radio was produced by Kate Rizuni and Roberto Rael with audio editing from Barbara Ramirez, our assistant producer. We want to give a big shout out to all of our youth producers. We could not do what we do without you. Generation Justice would also like to thank KUNM for bringing the voices of young people to you, KUNM listeners. Our website is generationjustice.org, where you can check out all of our multimedia work and listen to our podcasts, which are also available on SoundCloud and iTunes. We're also active on social media. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Generation Justice is funded by the WK Cowlick Foundation with additional funding from the Konamo Health Foundation. And of course, all of you have contributed to our project by visiting our website and clicking donate. Our opening song of the night is Youth of the Nation by POD. Our last song is Color Esperanza by Diego Torres. I'm Lily Lucao. And I'm Milian Cordova. Coming up on KUNM is Spoken Word, so stay tuned and join us next Sunday at 7 o'clock. We love you, New Mexico. We love you, New Mexico. Que las ventanas se pueden abrir Cambiar el aire depende de ti Te ayudará Vale la pena una vez más Saber que se puede Querer que se pueda Quitarse los miedos Sacarlos afuera Pintarse la cara con